David, the author of the psalm, says, In this, vindicate me, O Lord. I think that's, again, a prayer that we've all prayed. Lord, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. Vindicate me, right? At least we've perceived it in times. And maybe it's been true or perceived, but I think we've all asked God to intervene on our behalf in this kind of way. And so it's one of these very relatable psalms again. And David goes on to say in, in, in the second part of verse 1, For I have walked in my integrity and I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Um, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. And so David's kind of making a case here as he's speaking about some things that he's seen going on, but he's making a case uh, and as he pleads for God to, to, to intervene on his behalf. And so he goes on in verse 6 and says, I will wash my hands in innocence, and so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all of your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house in the place where your glory dwells. And in, 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 in our perspective there, David's saying basically, man, I love going to church and being with your people where you are at. And he says, do not gather my soul with the sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme in whose right hand is full of bribes. Sounds like some people I know. Um, but as for me, I walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful to me. And I think verse 12 takes us all the way back to verse 1 where David speaks about not slipping. He says, My foot stands in an even place in the congregation. I will bless the Lord. Let's pray. And Lord, as we gather together here to um, honor you, uh, to the place where, Lord, your glory dwells, as even David spoke of that, because we are... Um, the living temple of you. You are in us, and you reveal yourself to us through your word and our times of worship. And Lord, as you manifest and make yourself known to this world, even through us, and Lord, so may your glory dwell here. May we glorify you and honor you, Lord, in all that we do. And um, I pray you'd speak to us this morning through your word, by your spirit, God, um, that I would just be your mouthpiece, that um, none of my own thoughts, none of my own words, Lord, would find a place into this room today that it would be you. And Lord, uh, meet us where we're at. We desire to hear from you. Lord, we pray for all the moms in our, in our fellowship here today and, our, and, and those who aren't able to make it. Lord, we pray for all of them. We honor them. We recognize them. We give you, we give you thanks for them. Lord, pray a, a blessing upon them. God, that you would strengthen them and comfort them. You would bless them and provide for all of their needs, Lord. That you would let them know that they're, they're greatly loved and greatly appreciated, Father. And as we pray for the other churches in our community, Lord, we want to lift up the church as a whole here in Fremont County. We know some of the, the, the pastors and leaders are uh, struggling with some health concerns, and so we pray for, um, Lord, you to sustain them, that you would strengthen them in their weaknesses, Lord, that you would heal them. And Lord, for those churches um, that are, are in the midst of transition, Lord, um, we pray that your will would be done, that 
Um, no man's will would be um, executed, Lord, as you raise up godly leaders in this community, Lord, to um, do the work of uh, leading the body of Christ as they submit to you, you being the head. Lord, we know that you're the head, and we are all just members of one body. And Lord, but we desire for uh, great spiritual health to be in our churches and in our community, um, Lord, so that people would be saved, and so that ultimately um, the way that we live our lives here, Lord, and the things that we stand for and stand against would make this place that we live, Lord, uh, a sanctuary as we wait for your return. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be poured out upon our community and in our churches and in our lives. And Lord, we be a light not only to Fremont County, but to the rest of the world. And um, Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I find, I, 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 you don't even, I, it's, it's, I love teaching through God's Word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like this, because I, I think sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with topical studies, but sometimes I think topical studies are, are, are crafted uh, to fit specific events that are going on in our world or maybe seasons that the church is in or, or societal seasons that, that men of God recognize and are being um, led by God's Spirit to, to grab a topic and then speak from that. But I love that, that we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because um, it, to me it's just a greater evidence that God's in charge and not me. Because there, I think this psalm is so applicable to where we're living at today, and, and it's not like I sat down with the elders two years ago and said, okay, I think, the, I think we're going to be here with the church and, and with the society that we're living in two years from now, and so let's all calendar it out and chart it out. You can't do that. Nobody can orchestrate that kind of thing except for God, who knows the beginning and all the way to the end. And, and I love that because this psalm is so applicable. I think it's so interesting in light of the times that we're living in today where, where guys, if you've looked around with the shaking that's gone on with the, 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 the COVID and um, the other things that have played a part of it, that, that and I don't go into all of it. That's not the point. I want to get distracted. But, but we've seen a shaking in our world today on a secular level, but also within the church, have we not? As a matter of fact, please pray for uh, uh, Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. Ken Graves, I've mentioned him to you multiple times as he's had very, very um, hard time keeping his church open, and he has a, a ministry of recovery that's like U-Turn for Christ. It's not, and, and the, 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 the governor there said, oh, you can stay open this ministry of recovery as long as you don't teach God's Word or sing any, any, any Christian songs. Um, but if you do that, then you have to shut down. Anyway, but the Supreme Court has agreed to hear his case as he's taken it through the state level, and the Supreme Court of the United States is going to be hearing his, his case on the 13th of this month. But anyway, as the shaking has taken place, you've seen godly men and godly congregations stand, like we talked about at the beginning of this year, as the Lord has called us, to stand for what is true, stand for what is right. And, and there are certain things that that, that that means, but we've also seen a wavering within the church as there's been this sanctifying, this purifying. And it's, it's been going on for some time, and it's because I believe that the church as a whole has moved away from the Word of God. And, and we live in a today, a time where we, 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 we see so many churches not teaching and not standing on the Word of God. A time when many that 
that, that go to church are living their lives really, I would say, in opposition, direct opposition to what God's Word teaches us as followers of Him. And I say this because in this psalm, David describes, I think, a similar situation. David's describing a similar situation in his day when he described a, a, a group of tabernacle attending people. He described them as idolatrous mortals and hypocrites. Idolatrous mortals and hypocrites. A group of people who were going into the house of God and pretending to be something they were not, and this was a disturbing thing to him. And it needs to be a disturbing thing to us. And it should cause us to check our own hearts, our own lives, and see if there's sincerity in the way that we're living as we're fo- we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it was disturbing to them, especially in light of the fact that David had this, this personal connection to it as these pretend worshipers, or as David calls them in verse 5, an assembly of evildoers with whom he would not sit. He says they were making sinister schemes and taking bribes. That might sound like politicians, right? But David said that's going on in in his church at the tabernacle. He was witnessing it. And it appears that these sinister plans which involved the accepting of bribes were done with the intention of bringing harm to David because in this prayer part of the psalm, David asked for God at the very beginning to what? To vindicate him. To vindicate him. And so this is personal for David, but it's, it's more than that as he sees an unholiness taking place in the spot where the glory of God should be revealed with the people of God. He says first, examine me. Then he says a little bit later on, or excuse me, vindicate me. And then he says, examine me in verse two. And then lastly, in verse three, he says, redeem me. He's asking God to do these things. And there are some Bible scholars who suggest that these things David had written about in this psalm are connected to that time in David's life when his son Absalom was trying to seize the throne. And we know that, that initially Absalom did that before he took any kind of military action. He laid the, the ground, groundwork for that by, by spreading lies, it says, about his father and stealing the hearts of the men of Israel. In light of this, we see David speaking of himself in a contrasting light when he refers to walking in his integrity, first in verse 1, and then again in verse 11. And guys, integrity is a huge thing, is it not? And integrity should, be, should never be a question with the children of God. The Hebrew word for integrity that is used in both of these verses is the word tome. And listen, it refers to blamelessness or innocence. Integrity, specifically in regard to a state or a condition of moral goodness in a life with, the, with a focus of not having guilt or sin. And before we go any further, I want to point out that to live with integrity does not mean to live without sin. That's not what it means. However, to live with integrity means that, we do, that when we do something wrong, we confess it, right? Men of integrity... Women of integrity, we're not, we're not perfect, but when we sin, when we have an offense, when there's something wrong, we seek to make it right. We confess it. We ask for forgiveness, and the wrong that has been done, we seek to the best of our ability to undo it, to make it right. I've heard it once said that integrity is doing the morally right thing, right? No matter what the cost, and even if there is no one else there to see it. 
But more importantly, to have integrity is to do all things as unto the Lord without any compromise. That's the biblical, I would say, definition of it. A good example, I think, of what it means to have integrity is found in a story by Booker T. Washington where he describes having met an ex-slave from Virginia. And in his autobiography called Up From Slavery, he writes in this book and tells about this story, and he says this. This is profound. He says, I found, I found this man, he had made a contract with his master. Two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation, to the effect that the slave was, was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body, and while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where he wanted and for whom he wanted. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, granted he was originally in Virginia, it's quite a distance away, right? Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia, and he placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. Booker T. Washington says, in talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but that he had given his word to his master, and his word he had never broken, and he felt that he could not enjoy his freedom until he fulfilled his promise. Integrity, moral character, uprightness. And sadly, guys, you know this as well as I do, is that integrity is lacking in our world today, right? In much of our society today. And it's safe to say that, that, that the secular world does not have the corner on the market when it comes to lack of integrity. I have a couple of surveys for you that, that um, I pulled up. I'm going to start off with this, this one. Um, 2,000 people were surveyed. What would you do to become a millionaire? In other words, what would you be willing to compromise? What moral principle would you be willing to compromise for a million dollars? Would you throw your integrity away? Here's some of the, the questions. 8% of the people, and this, is, this one's not really an issue of morality, but 8% of the people said they'd have a limb amputated. How about in regards to your country? 51% said they would burn their country's flag. <laughs> said they would change and forsake their religion. Guys, 53% said they'd star in an X-rated movie. That's more we're willing to do that than burn their own country's flag. And if you think that's bad, another survey for $10 million, because a million dollars today, what's a million dollars, right? 10 million, 25% said they would abandon their entire family. 25% said they would abandon their church. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would leave their spouse. 
3% said they'd put their children for, for adoption. My kid said, Dad, would you do that? I said, I'd pay someone $10 million to take it. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like that, right? But guys, this survey concluded, the second survey said that two-thirds of all Americans polled would agree to do at least one of these things and some to several. Integrity. And, and we compromise our integrity all the time, if we're honest, for no money, for nothing. And so as we look at this, we go back to verse 1, and David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. And he says this. I said, again, this, this connects us to the last verse on this. He says, I shall not slip. Because David knows that being a man of integrity was, was, is connected to who he was standing upon, what he was standing in, what was his morals, what was his values. Why was he saying this is worth doing? And when David speaks in verse 1 about asking the Lord to vindicate him, he is truly asking God, he's saying, judge between me and those who are doing me harm. And the basis for which David is asking God to vindicate him, literally to judge between him and these other men, is on the claim that he had walked in integrity and trusted in the Lord. Now back in Psalm 18, David had had excuse me, asked God to do a very similar thing when he prayed to be delivered from his strong enemy. And to be rewarded, he said, or repaid according to his righteousness. And by this statement, David was in no means claiming to be without sin or saying that he had never done anything wrong. In fact, in Psalm 18, David was, was speaking directly to the way that he had dealt with Saul all those years that Saul had been trying to deal evil, do evil against him. David said, in this instance, I've, 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 I've lived with integrity. Lord, Lord, react or act upon my righteousness. And because David had acted righteously toward Saul during those years by not laying a hand on God's anointed, even though Saul had sought to do evil against David, he called out, he called out to God to intervene on his behalf. And just really quick, I'm grateful that God calls us to live lives of integrity, to live righteously, to live holy lives. But I'm also grateful that our, 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 our coming to him is not conditional upon that, guys. God's a God of grace and a God of mercy, and that's one of the things that David gets to in this, and also back in Psalm 18. But the David calls about God to intervene. Likewise, he does the same thing here in this psalm when David speaks about walking in integrity and trusting in God. But in doing so, he's not advocating, guys, self-righteousness. And that's what we want to look at. I mean, self-righteousness is a sick thing. God despises it. He's not advocating for himself on, in the basis of self-righteousness. What he is simply saying is that he had sought to do what was morally right and put his trust in God, right, who said this. Because David knew the law. And he knew this from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
So rather than taking matters into his own hands when dealing with these assemblies of evildoers who were seeking to harm him, David said, Lord, I've trusted in you. I've walked in a morally right way, trusting that you will do what you said. And see, guys, the temptation is when someone is against us, where we're praying for vindication, we're like, we're like, Lord, let me go chop their ear off, you know? Let me take action on myself. We want to react and take care of the matter rather than trust God. And David's saying, Lord, I've trusted in you, and my foot will not slip, even though these men come against me. So you be the one to vindicate me. And so with this declaration of having walked in integrity, David goes on further than now to describe these enemies for us, but also as he's pleading to God first in verses 4 or 5, and then again in verses 9 and 10, by saying this, they were deceitful men, hypocritical men, bloodthirsty men who, who, who brought forth sinister plans and accepted bribes. But the most important thing to note about these men is, is even though they were given over to these evil ways, David still saw them at the tabernacle before the altar, bringing their offerings. And this, from what I read here, is what grieved David the most. And this is why he said in verses 4 and 5, I have not sat with these idolaters, nor will I go in with the hypocrites, nor will I sit with the wicked. Guys, the point, the point is, is the evil acts that were being done were these men, by being done by these men when they were on the outside of the tabernacle did not line up with their acts of worship that were being done when they were inside the tabernacle. And may it never be said of us that that is true. But the fact of the matter is that all through his, throughout history of Israel, the, the, the history of Israel, and throughout the history of the church, there has always been an assembly of evildoers alongside the congregation of true worshipers. Sadly, these people can even rise up into leadership positions as well as make up a part of the general assembly. Jesus spoke about this many times. And in Matthew chapter 17, 7, verse 15, he did so by instructing his disciples. He said, Beware of false teachers who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Self-seeking men, right? And in Matthew chapter 13, James also spoke about, um, uh, Jesus also spoke about the parable of the tares, right? Growing up amongst the wheat. And he did so to, exp to explain that, that within the congregation of true believers, there will be some, those, who are not genuine in their faith, even though they have a right outward appearance. And in both of these situations, Jesus pointed out the fact that the wolves and the tares were harmful people who were pretending to be something they were not. They were hypocrites. The same word that Jesus used for the Pharisees in his day. Literally, play actors who wore masks to disguise their evil character, their evil intentions, their evil ways. And so when David speaks here in verse 1, right, about his integrity in contrast to these insincere or pretend worshipers, we see that he's calling upon God in verse 2 to examine the sincerity or the genuineness of his devotion to him. And I point this out first and most because that's a hard issue, is it not? It's just not a behavioral thing. It's the heart. 
And I pointed out, furthermore, because even though David was a sinner, just like all of us, he stood up for what was right. And when he was confronted with his sin, he confessed it. He asked for forgiveness, and then he repented. As a matter of fact, we know that David was a man who was devoted to God. And because of these things, Scripture tells us, it gives David the title, right? A man after God's own heart. And this is represented in verse 1 where David says this, I have also trusted in the Lord. Which speaks of faith, okay? When we think about this in, in relationship to how we can relate to it and how it applies to our life, faith is key. I've trusted in the Lord. I've had faith in you. And in verse 3 when he says that I've walked in your truths, it speaks of works, and I don't know about you, but it goes to me, it goes to the book of James where it says we're called to have both. That my works is the evidence of my faith. Walking in integrity. Having faith that moves us into works. To do the right thing. Not just to say the right thing. And as we read on in verse 2, David then goes, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I've walked in your truth. I've not sat down with these idolatrous mortals, nor gone in with these hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I have not and I will not sit with the wicked. So in addition to vindicate me, David goes on here in verse 2 to also pray to God and ask him these three things. To, to prove, to try or test, um, to prove him, to, to try or test his mind and his heart. And these three words here, guys, they're significant. The, the word examine, the word prove, the word try. And they're all different words in the Hebrew language, but each of these words have a reference to that refining process that we often speak of as Christians that was used to purify precious metals and to test these metals to determine their purity and their value. And this was done by applying the heat, we're told, of the refiner's fire to the metal in order to remove the impurities, to remove the dross. But the thing for us to notice is that, is that David makes this request to God. When he does so, it's not in regards to just the outward actions, guys. If you notice this, rather David says to the place where only God can see, to the place where God can only truly test. He says to the heart, to my heart, to my mind, Lord, examine me, prove me, try my heart, try my mind. Literally to the thoughts and the intentions for why we do what we do. And that's significant when we talk about integrity, having moral, good moral character before God and the rest of the world. It needs to be not just the outward things, but it needs to be the inward motives and intentions of our heart and of our mind. You see, the point is people can misinterpret our, misinterpret our actions. And we can, even, we, can, we can even be in the place where the Bible tells us where we're deceiving ourselves. We can be thinking that we're doing the right thing for the right reasons, and really we have, the Bible says that we can deceive ourselves into that, and that the action itself is really sinister, like what we read here. And we can all be led astray by the actions of someone who is pretending to be something they are not. But in each of these instances, 
whether it's with us or with someone else, God sees and knows exactly what's going on. And I love it as David is, is bringing his complaint to God about these people's unrighteous and evil ways. He's going, God, check me too. Because we're told, right? That we're a first to what? Examine ourselves. Even when we go to another brother, that's the heart. That's the attitude that we must have. Lord, see if there's any wrong in me before I even go to my brother who, is, who I see something wrong in him. See, God sees. God knows exactly what's going on. In other words, we know that God sees past the masks, right? He sees past the masks that, that we put on and that others put on. He sees past the play acting. He knows the real reasons for why we do what we do and the real reasons for why others have done what they have done. And this is important in relationship to the claims that David made about his own integrity and about the, the, the wicked or in contrast to the wicked who had come into the temple because the Bible teaches us that we don't have the ability to rightly judge the thoughts and the tents of our own hearts Right? And so I would say we probably have even less of an ability to judge the thoughts and the intents of others. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, and he said this. He says, As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I do not even trust my own judgment on this point, Paul says. My conscience is clear, but that does not prove that I am right. It is the Lord Himself who will examine me and decide. So do not make judgments about anyone ahead of time, he says, before the Lord returns. For He will bring out our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives, and then God will give to each one, whatever praise is due. And guys, that's so important because it's not that we're, we're never called not to judge. You know, the world's all, you know, only God can judge me. And in the end, God will judge all, but we are called to make judgments as we go through this life. But it is to be done in light of who God is and understanding our weaknesses and knowing that God's the one that needs to make it. And it's always with the intention of coming alongside someone to help them or to separate from, if need be, like a false teacher. So it reasons to include in light of what Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians and what David's talking about for us is that it's reason, I think it reasons to include for us that the only way to walk in integrity is to make sure that our lives, guys, once again, are motivated and controlled by God's love and by God's truths. That needs to be the focal point of our life, always. What does God say? Knowing that God loves us and He's called us to love others. And the fact of the matter is, is that this cannot happen, guys, if we're not willing to pray the same prayer of David and ask God to examine us, to ask God to try, to test, to prove our hearts and our minds. Another example of this type of prayer is found in Psalm 139, which was also written by David. And he says in verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Right? He says, Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. 
And the same godly discernment to know what is going on in our own heart is needed in order to know what might even be going on in the lives of others. Remember, in this psalm, David makes it clear that the wicked had come into the sanctuary. Think about that. They come into the sanctuary, and they had done this in order to hide their sins and to disguise the fact that they were evildoers with evil schemes. But even in David's assessment of these men, he was coming to God and saying, you decide. This is what I see, Lord, but you decide. Because God's opinion on this is what matters most. You judge between them and me because you're the only one, he says, who knows for sure. And guys, we got to stay in that place. There's a saying that we have in our household, you think you know, but you don't know. <laughs> but in light of this, we should consider that we, we, we can be quick to judge the actions and motives of others, and we can think and, and we can know, right, beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are absolutely correct in our conclusions. But guys, we always, in that moment, in that place, risk one of two things. To begin with, we can risk being led astray by our deception as we think that someone has good intentions towards us. Think about it on that side of it. When really they don't. Or, which is probably more familiar, is that we risk, we risk bringing a false accusation and, against judge, and, a, and a judgment against someone that is not true. And guys, neither of these things, neither of these things lead to any good. So as David called for God to examine him and to try him, he continued on in verses 3 through 8 and points out how his desire was to be motivated and controlled by God's loves and God's, by God's love and God's truth, saying in verse 3, Look, your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. But then he spoke of how, then he spoke of how this was evident in his life. This is how God, saying that he had first separated himself from those who were not walking in God's truths. And he spoke of how his own visits to the house of God where he gave thanks and praise and then proclaimed how he loved being in the house of God because it was the place where God was at. I want to be with God. And the point is, is if we say that our lives are motivated, listen, if we say that our lives are motivated and controlled by God's, loves and, and God's love and God's truth, then, right, then, and evidence of this will be revealed by the way that we treat others. And that's really what David's, David's coming to. Because if David wasn't being guided by God's love and God's truth, he being king, he, he had the power and the authority to take these matters into his own hands. But even as a good king, a godly king with much authority and much power, he knew where he had to go. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we're told that when we know, we know because we're talking about, about being controlled by God's love, right? And how we treat others will be, be is evidence of our love for God and, and standing in God's truth. And, and um, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we, we now love those who love God. An evidence and this is a noble truth. This is a notable truth because when we are in right relationship with God, then the way that we live, we live our lives 
and, and the relationships that we have with others will also be right, guys. And so often we can get focused on the external things of what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing, and, and, and we, we, we lose the, the, the thought that we lose the priority of just making it right with God and letting God work the rest out. When we are right, where we are in right relationship with God, we will be in right relationship with others, whether it's a brother or a sister in the Lord or even one who's pretending whether it's a, a, a wolf or, or a, a tear, because even in that, we're told to love. Or maybe just an unbeliever that has no qualms about calling themselves an unbeliever who's in the world today. Right relationship with God will always bring us into right relationship with others. And in short, if we're in right relationship with God, we will seek to do things as all things as unto the Lord. Integrity. Now in verse 9, as we, we come to the end of this psalm, David says, do not gather my soul with sinners. That, that's, that's a prayer I think that everybody has prayed. A thought that every man or woman who has ever lived has considered that. God, don't number me with those people, those sinners, those who are deserving and awaiting judgment nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place and in the congregation I will bless the Lord. In these last verses, David, David concluded by asking God here to redeem him and to be merciful to him. And it takes us back to what we're talking to, talked about just a minute. You know, we come, to, we come to God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and by the grace and mercy of God. We come before him and we make our requests. We stand there. That's the place. That's the place where our foot does not slip. And David calls for God's redemption because of God's mercy. And I believe that David spoke these things for two specific reasons. The first was in light of the immediate threat that was coming from these evil pretenders who wanted to do him harm. And David was asking for God, to, that, for God in his mercy to save him from them. But listen, I also believe, I think this is exactly what we're being told here, I believe that David spoke these things to God because David knew there was not a whole lot of things that he could do to stop these hypocrites from joining the true um, worshipers that were in the congregation. Lord, I really have no power here. But you do. You do. And often we find ourselves powerless in a situation, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But this is what David could do. And this is what we can all do. He could help or he could be a part of God's work by not becoming like them, right? He could help from becoming like them and he could trust in the fact that God could see the difference between his sincere devotion and their insincerity. And so often when we're in that situation where we're praying for God to vindicate us, it's because we're coming before the Lord and saying, I'm right and they're, they're wrong. 
And after we've gone through this process of having God examine us and, and being humble in all of those things, we can resolve in our hearts and minds to go, I will stand in the place of righteousness. I will be a man or woman of integrity and not compromise what I know that God has called me to. I will determine to be in right relationship with him. And this is why David said in verse 9, don't gather my soul with sinners. May I not be like them. And I point this out as we close because it should remind us of the fact that there's coming a day, guys. There's coming a day. We know it to be true. There's coming a day when God will righteously judge. A time when he will separate the tear, the tares from the wheat, the Bible says. A time when he'll separate the sheep from the goats. And on that day, the Bible makes it very clear that every secret thing will be revealed. The wicked will be exposed and they will perish. The worship team wants to come up. In the meantime, we must be constantly aware of the evil influences that are in this world today. Aware and making decisions on how we're going to react, how we're going to live. Aware of the evil influences that are in this world and especially of those who profess God's love but are using some kind of form of religion as a cover-up for their sins. May we not be deceived. May we have discernment. May we have the wisdom of God to live righteously before all men in this world that we've been called at such a time as this. But guys, in order to remain faithful to God, we must, we like David, must ask God to be merciful to us. We must ask God to help us maintain our integrity and, and to help us to live blameless before all men. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship you and stand upon your truths. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that, again, in this psalm, we see David really kind of start off in a place of concern, a, a place of, of where things were uncertain for him. Yet, Lord, he, he the end of this psalm, after praying to you, after confessing to you, after calling upon you, Lord, that he speaks with certainty that the place that he stands is sure. It's firm. And because of that, he gives praise. And Lord, may we have that same encouragement again this morning as we, as we rest in you, as we trust in you. Because Lord, there is, and Lord, there is times when we do that that we feel like that just allows us to be taken advantage of. That, it, that it's allowed us to get like the, the raw end of the deal when it comes to people maybe in this world and what they're doing. It can seem to us like the evil man is prevailing. But Lord, help us to trust you that when we stand in the place of truth, Lord, when we stand in the place of love, that we stand upon uh, something that's secure and certain and, and not shaking and never going to waver and Lord, that you're there seeing and knowing. So God, give us that faith again to trust in you. And Lord, put a, a heart of gratefulness and a heart of thankfulness inside of us, Lord, and, and a heart that wants to shout out praise to you no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in the world around us, Lord, because we know that you're faithful and that you are always, God, working things together for our good. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. And Lord, we ask that the things that we've heard today in our, 
that we heard today through your word and by your spirit, Lord, that we would go forth and, and be doers of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.